have been around this week, I sounded like I was going through puberty again <laughs> because my voice would just hitch. And so the, the, the good news for me is the bad news for you. I got it back. So um, at least for the first service, we'll see how we are at the, at the other two. But, um, but it's good uh, after a really kind of a, a crazy week to, to, uh, to be together. And in a few, um, a little bit later in the sermon, maybe than normal, we'll be turning to Luke um, uh, chapter um, 14. But um, before we get there, I, you know, I've, I've talked recently in a few places about kind of universal rituals that we have. I talked about a, f- a number of weeks ago about the fact that, that we all learned that we wash our hands before we eat. And um, one of the rituals that I, I'm going to guess that, that we all share is, um, is, is part of our morning ritual. And, and that is that, you know, whatever time you get up in the morning, whether your alarm goes off or you naturally wake up, um, you know, there's, there might be kind of a few stops in your, your transitioning out of bed and into the, your routine. But, but at least one of the first stops, one of our first experiences every morning is eventually getting to a point where we're standing in front of the sink and we are standing, I think, almost all of us, in front of a mirror, right? We are all standing at some point very early in our day. We're all in front of a mirror, right? Right. And for some of us, that's the most disturbing image that we're going to see the entire day, right? I, I I started... to, to really kind of think about it more intentionally this week uh, because obviously, you know, preparing for the sermon and just you really, really want a humbling moment and, and just very intentionally um, just look at yourself first thing in the morning. You know, it, uh, the, as you're brushing your teeth and, you know, if you're like me, you're half asleep and toothpaste is dripping down your chin and, you know, you got the, uh, me, I'm just talking about me, I'm not talking about you, all right? You got the bags under your eyes, and you know your hair's all messed up, and and whatever it is, it, you know that that's not always the image you really want to hold on to through your day. And and what I know is this: that for most of us, what you see in that mirror first thing in the morning is that part of you that you don't want anyone else to see the rest of the day, right? We, we begin right there with what I call the, the, the ritual of preparing ourselves to present ourselves. And, and that varies for, for, for all of us. It's different. For tra- stereotypically, women, you do a little bit more than us guys, which is one of the many reasons you look better than us. But, um, but, but even for us guys, I mean, we, st- we do do some of our own things and and because we don't want anybody to see that image of us. I, I remember the last church I served, one of the ladies in the congregation, very faithful, sweet lady, very very kept and proper kind of southern lady. Uh, she was going to the hospital. I don't even remember what the procedure was, but she was going to be in for a while. And I'll never forget, she came to me and she said, Preacher, she said, don't you come see me. And she wasn't, I mean, it wasn't just me. She wanted me to get word out. Nobody was to come see her. She didn't want any guests, any visitors. And do you know why? Because she wasn't going to have her makeup on. 
Her hair wasn't going to be done. She didn't, she didn't want people to see that part of her. And, and that was her wish, and we absolutely respected that. And certainly I didn't pop in unannounced, you know, to visit. But, but that's, that's kind of this, this, this reality for us, is that we begin to then kind of create the image as best we can with what God's given to us to, uh, to make ourselves look as good as, as possible. And until recently, we'd all say, well, we only have so much that we can work with. There's only so much you can do. But, but we live in a virtual reality world now. We live in a, in a social media world where many of us uh, post pictures and, and do things to share with people. Do you know there are apps that allow you to modify your body and your image before you post them? There are, there, there are augmented reality apps that, that, and some, that you can use that instantly will give you a slimmer waist and um, broader shoulders or other things. And we're just going to leave that right there. We're just stopping at that point. You can use your imagination and, and it can allows us to, to even further control this image that, that people see of us. And, and this isn't We've always done this. You know, we do this in, in modest ways. We do it in, in extreme ways. And, and there's a, a risk. That, in fact, there, there, psychologists will talk about a, a body dys, dysmorphia, I think, that, that can, can create seeds of discontent in people. Because deep down, we, we recognize that what we're presenting isn't authentic to, to who we really are. And I'm not talking about, you know, doing our hair and makeup. I'm talking about more extreme situations and where we really try to create this false front, this facade. We want to control the narrative of how people see us. And very often, that's, that's a very inauthentic projection of ourselves. And, and so into this reality... We encounter Jesus. And Jesus had this way of, of kind of showing up in people's lives. And, and not in a judgmental or a condemning way, but, but Jesus was, among many things, was incredibly authentic. In a day where religious leaders really wanted to put on a facade, in a day, we've always been guilty of this, a, a facade, this front of, of pious and, and faithfulness and, and um, uh, you know, ritual purity and all of these things, Jesus steps in and, and he's, he's so authentic and, and so real and so genuine that part of, I think, what just attracted people to him was they saw in him something that they weren't always seeing in, in the other religious leaders of the day, this, this just genuineness. But part of what Jesus does is, I think, is he shows up with us and he holds the mirror up to us. He holds the mirror up to us so that we at least will be challenged to start to see ourselves authentically as well, not, not in a physical sense, but, but in a spiritual sense, in a in a sense, it speaks to, to who we are um, as sons and daughters of, of God, or at least growing into that. And so he holds this mirror up. And, and that really sets us up, I think, for, for what's going to happen here in this chapter in, in Luke 14. Now, uh, let me kind of set the scene before I get to the verses that I'm going to read this morning. But, but Jesus has been invited to the home of a, of a leading Pharisee. And, and it starts at the beginning, basically said, because they want to keep an eye on him. 
you know, he's on his way to Jerusalem. And, and they're constantly, if you know the gospel story, they're constantly trying to trip him up. They're constantly trying to find something to undermine his credibility, to, to use against him. Because I believe that they were threatened by that authenticity. They were threatened by this teacher that, 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 that taught a little differently than they did and lived more authentically than they did. And so uh, he became opposition. And so they, they looked for ways to un- undermine that. And opposition by their own choosing, not because Jesus chose to oppose them. He did in teaching and practice, but, but always even inviting them into relationship. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. So it wasn't like the, the invitation was, ex- they were excluded from it. And, and so, so anyway, back to Luke 14, they has this, this dinner party. And, and um, you know, Jesus is an observer of, of human behavior everywhere he goes. And uh, he, he asks a question. He says, you know, is it lawful? What happens is this guy shows up who's um, got dropsy, he's swelling. And uh, Jesus asks this question, because it's the Sabbath. He says, is it, is it permitted for, for me to heal on the Sabbath? Now, he had just had this conversation in Luke 13. So he's resetting this, this scene. And, and uh, you know, he had, he had done a healing on the Sabbath then, and they'd criticized him for it. And it's very interesting that nobody says anything at this dinner party. They're like, wait a minute, we've seen this rodeo. We're not, we're not going down this road here. And so they're, they're quiet. And so Jesus does this healing, and, 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 and he says, you know, who wouldn't take rescue? It's a very interesting contrast. He says, who wouldn't rescue a child or an ox from a pit on, on the Sabbath? You know, who wouldn't do the humane, compassionate thing just because it's the Sabbath. And that's Jesus' point. Just because it's the Sabbath, that doesn't override the compassion that God's placed on us. But, but what is so fascinating in the story, what, what can easily get lost, is the silence of the Pharisees. Again, I, I come back to that. They don't say anything because they know they're in a rock and a hard place. Because they don't want to contradict their, their, their image of pious men, in this case they're men, who, who follow all the laws, but, but boy, if they, if they argue with Jesus, then they're seen as heartless. And they, they won't want to do that, but, and they don't really want to side with Jesus. So they're kind of in this, they're stuck. They're absolutely stuck. And, and they have nothing to do but remain silent. And, and I'm reading into this, but I think that silence is the opportunity that Jesus seizes on. Because silence is of, often indicative of, of a little bit of an introspection. You know, they're having to wrestle with all of this. They're human beings. You know, we, we tend to vilify the Pharisees, and sometimes rightfully so. But, but I think at the heart of most Pharisees is, are people that want to be faithful to who they believe God's called them to be, and they're wrestling with what that means. And so there's this introspection, and they're quiet, and they're reflecting on this, and they're trying to figure out what do they do to get out of this pickle because we don't want to agree with Jesus, but we can't disagree with Jesus, so we're stuck. And uh, this is where Jesus kind of ushers in this story that he tells. And so, in, in verse 7, and it's verse 7 through 14, but I'm going to stop at 12 and come back to the last two. Um, I'm sorry, Luke 14, verse 7 through 14, but I'm going to stop at the last two verses and come back to them later. It says that when he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. 
If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Lord, bless these words that we've read and these continue search for understanding that we join in together to hear your voice and to be open to your Holy Spirit as you'd speak. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen and amen. So, so again, so now let's come back to this, this dinner. So Jesus is watching, you know, he's, he's watching behavior. And what he's seeing is that... Uh, the, the, the Pharisees are kind of wanting to, to position themselves in the places of honor. At a, at a banquet, at a dinner, at a feast like this, there, there would have been places of honor, seats next to the host or, or seats next to the honored guest. And, and again, now, now we're coming back to this projection. So what are the Pharisees? They want to project that they're important. They want to project that, that, that I'm somebody. And so how do you project you're somebody? You get yourself at the head table. You get yourself in the places where everyone's going to be looking at you and going, oh, look at him. Oh, look at her. You know, we've all been to wedding receptions. It's a different setting. But, you know, it's it's interesting that Jesus here and in other places using a wedding banquet to, to really speak to the kingdom of God. The wedding banquet is referring to this incoming, this this the kingdom of God, which will come. And so that's kind of the image. But, but we've been to wedding banquets in, in a number of settings. And most of the time, there's a, a table of honor. There's a head table. And, and at that table is the bride and the groom. And then, and then usually the, the wedding party, the, the groomsmen, the bridesmaids, maybe the parents, the, those who are, who are chosen by the, by the bride and the groom. Now, I mean, can you imagine what it would be like if you walked into a wedding reception and people started taking those seats because they wanted them? I mean, that, that, you, you wouldn't dream of it. I've never been to a wedding where I've seen somebody go, no, I'm going to come sit at the head table because we know that that's, that's chosen by the hosts, if you will. Well, that's what Jesus is seeing. He's, he's seeing people jockeying for position. And he says, no, no, no. Don't, don't create this false persona, this false impression of, of who you are. He talks about this humility that says, when you come, take the, take the seat in the furthest back. And it's, it's not because you're, you're, it's not a strategy. It's not a strategy for saying, well, if I sit here, then I'm going to get up there. It's, it's a genuine humility that says, I'm going to take the seat because I'm going to allow the host to determine where I should be. And the host in this case is God. What, what, what Jesus is saying is allow God to define your status, your, your value, your worth. And we know God gives worth to all people. But, but don't jockey for it yourself. Don't, don't self-declare how important you are because Jesus kind of says that those who are uh, arrogant will be humbled, proud will be humbled, and those who are humbled will be lifted up. And, and he's really calling them out. 
You know, he's, he's calling them out again. It goes to this, this what they want to do is they want to control the narrative. They want to make sure that these Pharisees, that you see in them what they want you to see. But, but the challenge for us to hear is, is, is our own tendency to do that. And now I'm talking about more than just our physical appearance. In fact, deeper than our physical appearance. It's this desire that we have to sometimes, and, and I do it, to create a, a persona. That to, to create a, an image that, that isn't always authentic to who I am. That is an image that is more catered for you than it is for God. Because if I can create the image and you can think highly of me and you like me and you want to put me on the pedestal, that makes man, that yay me. But, but, but Jesus says, no. Your worth is not defined. Your place is not defined by how others see you. It's defined by how God sees you. And again, he, he takes that mirror and he, and he really wants to hold it up to us and say, who are you? Who, who truly are you when the makeup's off, the hair's not done, the, the toothpaste is drooling down your chin? Who, who are you? And so Jesus then tells another story. And these are very significantly connected. And these are the last two verses. It's really short. But this is what then Jesus says as he comes off of this. He said, then Jesus said to the host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back. And so you will be repaid. When you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. And you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now, wedding banquet, jogging for position. And then he tells a story about well, when you have a party, don't invite the people. They're just going to invite you to their party. And what Jesus is doing is, is he's indicating, he's showing that this is what God wants to see in us. The authentic us. The, the, the us that is reflective of who Jesus is and, and who we've been called to be, the, the person that, that God wants us to see when we're looking in that mirror and being honestly reflective and authentic is the person that lives a life that um, has, has toggled the worldview from self-centered to other-centered. I, I mean, our, our phones, uh, those of us that carry smartphones now, they have cameras, everything, you know, we don't buy cameras anymore. You know, we, we don't buy, buy individual cameras. We buy smartphones. And, and part of every, every, when they unveil, this is the time of year when all the big companies start coming out with their new models. And one of the things I'll talk about is the camera quality. You know, we don't buy phones just, we don't, we don't really care whether you can talk about them anymore. It doesn't matter. Talking secondary. How, how good are all the other things they do? And so they all have their cameras. And that's, that's convenient. It's nice to be able to just take one thing and have your camera. And so all our cameras have that toggle switch, right, um, that allows you to put it in selfie mode, right? So you can take a picture in which you are at the center of the picture. Some of you are going, no, you don't. Some of you don't. There's nothing wrong with selfies inherently. I've taken a few here and there. I, and, and, but but we, even, we build around that technology. Have you seen selfie sticks? Do you know what a selfie stick is? When I went to China a few years ago, I'd never seen more selfie sticks in my entire life. Everybody had a selfie stick. If you don't know, if you don't know, it's just a long stick that, that 
I don't have one, so I, that has a button at the handle that allows you to take a selfie so you can put your phone on the stick and, and you know, get it further away from you so you can get a wider angle. You can get a better picture of yourself in whatever scene that you want to be in. And so the idea is, I think, I think if we want to kind of play this, this metaphor out, that, that God says that, that what is a reflection of, of who I've created you to be, uh, a reflection of Christ is, is somebody that toggles that switch, that takes it out of selfie mode, that, that doesn't worry about being at the center of everything, but is outward focused. And, and is focused on those doing for those who can't do anything for you. You know, that, that's what, what Jesus is saying, the blind, the crippled. The, these are folks that aren't going to be able to host a party so that you can then be the guest of honor. But it gives us a chance to, to be genuine. It gives us a chance to be reflective of, of who Jesus is. It allows us um, to live into an authentic call of Christ. And what Jesus challenges us to do, I think what he's challenging those Pharisees to do, but it's, it's for us is t- to see ourselves authentically, to, to really be willing. The, the mirror isn't, doesn't exist to make you feel bad or good. It, it doesn't. It just exists to show you a true reflection of, of who you are. And, and that's what Jesus tells See a true reflection of who you are. The mirror doesn't lie. It, it doesn't. That we can try to distort it. It's genuine. What, what do you look into to see the true reflection? Do you allow God to shine that mirror on you? To allow you to see yourself for who you are? Not to pile guilt, but to be challenged, to live faithfully, to live authentically as a follower of Jesus, which says that the beauty, what I want the world to see of me, is somebody who gives graciously, who loves limitlessly, and who follows faithfully. That's, that's who Christ calls us to be. Our challenge you know, is to, to look authentically and allow that to be faithful, a faithful reflection of who we truly are. Amen? Amen. All right, friends, let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we are challenged by, by that call to see ourselves faithfully and truthfully. It's, it's uncomfortable for us. We know that not a one of us is where we need to be, but... Um, we know not a one of us is abandoned by you, that you continue to challenge and move in our lives when we are open to you so that we would be more like Christ, be more authentic and reflective of, of you. And so help us to see ourselves honestly and then to move faithfully into the, the obedience for which we've been called. We pray this in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.